Thank you. Let's take our Bibles this morning, please turn to the book of Titus, Titus chapter 2 this morning. Book of Titus. Man, it was a blessing. I just, you know, I was thinking about it as I was sitting there that Joel was saved when he was nine years old and Ray was saved when he was 16 and Mrs. Claver saved as an adult. I'm assuming you're an adult in the 70s. You have kids older than I am, so you're an adult and that God can save anybody. Doesn't matter your age. And, uh, you know, it's, we don't see a lot of, we see kids get saved more often than we see teenagers or even adults, but praise the Lord, God can save anybody at any time in any place, and his grace is sufficient. Titus chapter 2 this morning, I want to preach a message with God's help this morning entitled Grace and Holiness. Grace and Holiness. Some people think those two things don't go together. And uh, I, the reason I say that was I was... I heard a young preacher just recently say, I was talking to an older preacher, and he said, I was, I was telling him how much I'm preaching a series on grace and how much I love preaching about the grace of God and the wonderful gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, I just keep preaching every Sunday morning for several weeks. Now, I've been preaching about grace, and the preacher says, that's all well and good, but grace will not produce holiness in your church. I don't think that preacher understands grace. Because the Bible is very plain that grace will produce holiness. And we want to look at that this morning from the Word of God's perspective and understand what the Bible says about that. The Bible says in Titus chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 11, the Bible says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Understand that. Let's read that again. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Let me say this, if I could just subtitle the message very quickly, verse 11 is the grace that we are familiar with. That's the grace we talk about. If I were to say, praise God for the grace that he has shown me, typically what I mean by that is he has offered me salvation. We are talking about Jesus Christ coming in the flesh. The grace of God hath appeared to all men. We are thankful for salvation. We're thankful for the grace of God that saves sinners. We're thankful that his grace was shed abroad in our hearts, that we realized we were lost in a sinful condition, that our sin had offended a holy God, and that we needed God's grace to restore us, and so we trusted in him. That's normally what we mean. And so grace 11, verse 11 is grace that we are familiar with. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. But look what all also this grace does. Notice at the end of verse 11, there's a comma. That means this thought is not complete as of yet. Grace is teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, we do thank you for this gift of salvation, the grace that has appeared to all men and brings salvation. 
But Lord, help us also to be challenged in our thinking today that a proper understanding of biblical grace will produce holiness. That will move us and guide us and grow us in the grace of God towards being conformed to the image of the Son. Father, I need your help, and I pray that you might fill me with thy Holy Spirit. That you might speak to each heart in this place today, that you might move us to be more like Jesus. Lord, we are thankful for your grace and what it does in our lives. But Lord, let us never forget that grace also provokes us unto good works. That it also grows us spiritually. That it also helps mold us into the image of Christ. So Father, may the Spirit of God impress upon our hearts the Word of God today. Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would weed out those things that I say that perhaps aren't right on the mark. Lord, that the human mind would interact with the Spirit today and just weed those things away. But only the Word of God would find good soil. So speak to our hearts, Lord. Keep the devil away, Lord, that he might not try to hinder us or uh, provoke us in any way. But Lord, that we might be able to focus on the things of God today. Lord, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me direct your attention back to Titus chapter 2 and verse 1. Titus chapter 2 and verse 1. There's some important things here that we need to notice before we get into our lesson today. But notice what the Bible says. It says, Paul is speaking to Titus, and he's encouraging him to help the young churches, especially on the island of Crete. You'll remember that Paul had established some churches there, and he left Titus behind to help ordain elders. And we read about uh, that in, in, in chapter 1. And now in verse 2, it says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men, who here is one of those aged men, Does anybody want to admit to that? I don't think so. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. Not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Now look back at verse 3. It says that the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness holiness. And God is saying to Titus, I want you to preach to the aged women some things about their behavior, some things about the actions and the deeds in their life that becomes holiness. But there's a key word there. It says that the aged women, what's the next word? Likewise. In other words, the men need this too. In verse 2, we see about the aged men, that they be sober and grave and and growing in charity and patience and all these things. And he says, then the aged women likewise. In other words, this is good for both of us, for the men, for the women. And though the Bible says aged, we understand that, that there are different levels of Christian maturity. Somebody like Joe Strachan was saved at nine years old, and perhaps he's been saved long enough. You could say he's a mature Christian. By the time he was 29 years old, he'd been saved for 20 years. Others get saved when they're 60, and by the time they're 65, they've only been saved a few years. Our maturity level differs, but there comes a point where we ought to grow into the place of holiness. You say, what is holiness? Holiness is that attribute that really only God possesses. Jesus Christ said, be holy as I am holy. 
We are to be like the Father. We are to be like the Son. We are to be conformed to the image of the Son, the Bible says. And holiness is an attribute of God, but I would suggest to you today that holiness is a sum total of all of his attributes. God is righteous. God is long-suffering. God is kind. God is uh, God of justice. And all these things are the sum total of who he is, and God is holy. And so when we think about God saying to us, we need to be holy, it is again the sum total of those attributes. He said, well, how can I be righteous? You can only be righteous in Christ Jesus. We are to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He said, how can I be separate from the world? We can only be separate from the world as we do. It's what the song just said. We are crucified in Christ. We are dead to the world. And we put away the things of this world. So holiness is something that we may never, ever achieve until we get to heaven. And yet the command stands, be ye holy. We are to be holy. We are to be separate. He said, well, if I can never make it, then why should I try? Because it is the process of holiness that God is desiring for our lives. He wants us to grow. Each and every day should be more time with God, more time in the word, more time of purifying our souls and, and growing more like Jesus. So we are to be holy. I want you to notice some things about this grace this morning that helps us grow into that holiness. You know, I, I, I got to say, I honestly, I disagree with that old preacher. I believe that grace will produce holiness because it's only by God's grace that we grow at all. It's only by God's grace that we can get into the Bible and we have the word of God to help us to grow and to purge our conscience of these dead works and to move forward in the grace of God. And so uh, let's look at Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. I want you to notice some things this morning. First of all, we notice that it's a grace, a grace that tells. It's a grace that tells. You say, what does it tell? It tells of salvation. The first step to holiness is you have to be born again. You have to be a new creature in Christ. The old man doing religious works, trying to please God, will never achieve holiness. You'll never be separate. It's a grace that tells of salvation. The Bible says, but the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. The Bible tells us that this is the, the, the familiar grace that we are familiar with. It is that very grace of God that brings salvation to all men. And some think that we deserve it. And some think that they have earned it. And some think that it is already within them. And some think it's their birthright. But this salvation is a gift of God that only comes from God. The grace of God that bringeth salvation. There's no other source of it. There's no other place to find it. The word grace literally means an unmerited favor, an undeserved favor. It is a gift from God. There's been times over the years where, you know, we, we were purchasing birthday gifts or Christmas gifts. And I remember one year in particular, my wife said, I, I just don't know if I want to get that because I just, the kids, you know, I just don't know if they deserve it. We talked about it a little bit and... I said, you know, I said, when we give a gift, we're so to show them the love of the Father that it's not deserved. A gift is something we don't deserve. 
It's something that God has blessed us with. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That gift is grace. We do not deserve it. We cannot earn it. We do not merit it in any way. It is a gift from God. James chapter 1 and verse 17 says this, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. Think about that. Every good gift, no, I, I mean, listen, hang on every word here because it's important. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? Every good gift and perfect gift comes from above. Have you ever gotten a bad gift? Think about that. You ever, you ever gotten a bad gift? Sometimes at Christmas, my brother and I, we will, my mom gets us stockings still. I'm 48 years old and I still get a stocking. That's okay. That's what moms do, right? And uh, she usually gets a stocking and she'll put in peanuts, cashews, you know, stuff like that. Uh, stuff, shower gel, you know, bottle of shower gel in there. I guess I need a bath. There's always a pair of socks, always. That's what moms do, right? A thing of deodorant. Another hint to go with the shower, I guess. I don't know. But for years, she got us, Wade and I both got spray on right guard. And every year, we take it out of the bag and hand it to one of the boys. Here, Brendan, here, Austin, here, Cole. <laughs> and we'd hand them down to the boys, and she's like, oh, you don't use that? Well, Mom, we did when we were 12. You know, it's, a, it's kind of a kid's thing, this spray on right guard, you know. We, I didn't even know they still made it. We haven't used it in 35 years. And it took a few years, and then we finally, you know, wasn't a good gift. The other night, we, we took Timmy out. Timmy has spent a lot of time at our house since he was born, and we would babysit for those kids. And, and I said to my wife, I said, we don't, we don't have any kids in school. It was strange for us. We don't, I said, we don't, we're not going out buying school supplies. My wife goes through withdrawal if she can't buy school supplies. She loves Staples and Walmart at this time of year. Just I mean, literally, one year she says, oh, paper's 19 cents. Can I buy a bunch of paper? I said, hon, I've got a closet with stacks of it like this already. But it's 19 cents. It doesn't matter. We don't need it. Am I telling the truth? I am, see? And so I said, well, let's take Timmy out. It's his first day of school. Let's get him a little something for school. And so we took him out there at night. We went to Wendy's, and we, we had a lot of fun with him. And we went to my mom's, and we got the golf cart out, and we drove back in the woods and took him for a ride. And we just had a good time. And so we bought him something for school. And I thought, you know, I don't want the other guys, Peyton and, and uh, uh, what's the other one? Timmy Toby. I don't want Toby to feel left out. So I said, let's, let's just go to the dollar store and give him a little ball or something. So we got a couple little balls with happy faces on them, and we took them home for the boys. And Timmy saw a robot. You know, like those Transformers? You remember, you remember, Mikey, you remember Transformers? They could take it and it turned it, this one turned into a jet. It was kind of neat. I almost got one for myself. It was really cool. And so it was this robot and it turned into a, a jet airplane and you could turn it back into a robot again, back and forth. And, but how many of you know that when you buy it at the dollar store, it lasts about 33 seconds before parts start falling off, and it's just, I mean, it's no good, right? Well, it actually lasted a couple hours. It was good. It didn't break on him, but I, I tried to warn him. I thought, I, I just, it's not that I didn't want him to have it, but I didn't want him to be disappointed 30 seconds later when it broke all apart. I thought, let's get, a ball won't break. A rubber ball won't break. No, I got to have the robot. 
And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, man. You know, that's the kind of gifts we get on this earth. They break. The Bible says we ought to lay up our treasures above where rust and moth do not corrupt. Here's, here's the truth. The only perfect gift and the only good gift, every, because the Bible says every, every good gift and every perfect comes from above, from the Father. Do you know what he calls salvation? The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord because it comes from above. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's the grace of God that tells of salvation. Secondly, look at that verse again. It is the grace of God that tells every sinner. It tells everyone. The grace of God that bringeth salvation, what's the next part? Hath appeared to all men. Hey, it doesn't just say the elect. It says everybody. He said, no, come on. Really, everybody? Everybody, all men. You say, you mean I can get saved today? Yeah, you can get saved today. God's grace is sufficient to save you right now. The Bible says all have sinned, every one of us, and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the grace that hath appeared unto all men. This grace that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. It's for everybody. It is a universal grace. Listen, it's not a universal salvation. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Whosoever will may come. Whosoever drinketh of the water will have this well of life springing up within him. There's all kinds of things there about faith and why we must put our faith in Jesus Christ. But this, friends, the offer of salvation, the offer of his grace, it is offered freely for all. Whosoever will may come. It tells every sinner. You know, I heard a story. I, I don't remember who told it. A preacher was telling it. And he said the little boy was walking along the ocean front. And the tide had gone out and left sea, uh, starfish all along the shore. And he'd pick up a starfish and he'd throw it back in the water. And he'd walk a couple more steps. He'd pick up another one, throw it back in the water. And somebody said to him, he said, hey, he says, you know, there's thousands of starfish. He says, you're never going to make a difference. The little boy picked up another one he threw back in the water. He says, I made a difference for that one. You see, not everybody will believe, but God's grace is sufficient for everybody. It's available. And he can make a difference in your life today if you'll just trust in Jesus Christ. It is a grace that tells. Look at the second thing this morning. It is a grace that teaches the first step to holiness is salvation. But look at the second thing. This grace now, once you're saved, begins to work in your life. It begins to get a hold of your heart. Peter said this in 2 Peter. He said, but grow in grace. It's by the grace of God that we can mature and by the grace of God that we can grow. And here's how. The Bible says, but the grace of God is teaching us, verse 12, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. It is a grace that teaches us. First of all, we see it's a grace that teaches us to forsake some things. 
It's a grace that teaches us to forsake some things. Notice the first part of that verse. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. Denying unworldliness or ungodliness and worldly lusts. You'll notice with me this morning that Paul did not say that grace teaches us to deny our human list of things we think are right and wrong. That's called religion. Unfortunately, a lot of times that's how we judge people. Well, they don't have their hair cut. They don't have the Baptist haircut. I haven't had a Baptist haircut in years, friends. They don't, they don't have the, you know, the ladies don't have their hair right to their shoulder and bob just the right way. They're, I'm not sure they're fundamental Baptist. They're not, they don't have their tie. tie you know, they, they're only wearing a half Windsor knot in their tie, not a double, you know. They're not... Hey, it's not by your standard. It's, it's, not, it's not by how you think somebody should dress. It, it's not by a, a, a list of rules of do's and don'ts. I've said this a thousand times. Listen, rules will make us obedient. The grace of God and getting into his presence will make us holy. And we tend to judge people based on appearance and different things that are going on. Listen, I said this to the morning crowd and they got real quiet. If we are doing our jobs as a local church, one day down the road, we're going to have a deacon covered in tattoos. Because that's people that ought to be getting saved. I was in a church a while ago when they, they asked for the ushers to come do the offering. The guy come up to do the offering and his ears were wobbling. He had, he'd put those spacers in when he was a young man and they grew. You know how they just keep making the... You've seen them? And I always wonder when they get grandkids, they're going to swing on those things. But... His ears just went, he took the earrings out, but the skin had just flapped. It was hanging like this. And he's up there smiling, preaching, would you pray? And he prayed, and they were singing the hymns, and he was singing out. And he said, oh, I would never let that guy usher my church. That's the problem. That's the problem. You've judged him by your standards and not the grace of God. But that's the kind of people that need to get saved. And here's the truth. You've got scars too. We just can't see them. There's scars in your heart and in your mind of sin. Hey, listen, everybody's got scars. But by the grace of God, we move forward. Now, listen, that's not to say that as children of God, we shouldn't deny some things. Paul said, I die daily. Paul said, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. But it's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's, he says, just deny unworldliness and ungodliness. Don't be like the world. Don't be against God. Let God get into your heart and work. Here's the thing. We give them a list. You'll have a lot of converts unto yourself. You'll have a lot of people that you can change and, and, and make look right and smell right and talk right. But when God gets in their heart, then God has a convert. And real transformation can take place. But we have to let God do it. Now, there's nothing wrong with you coming along somebody, putting your arm around and saying, listen, brother, I've I just, I just been praying about this, and I really feel that there's something going on that, you know, maybe you don't even realize it. It's just hurting, hurting your family. It's not helping you grow. Can I help you with that? Can I pray with you about that? Can, I, can we do a Bible study? But you see, once you pray with them and you get into the word of God, what you're doing is you're letting God do the work. 
You're being an instrument of God's grace. Instead of going up to Rick and saying, Rick, listen, we don't wear purple shirts around here. Okay? We wear white shirts. All right? That's what the man of God does, a white shirt. All right? That's what we tend to do, isn't it? It's our standard, not God's. Let's help people grow in grace. Yes, it means we should deny some things. But here's, here's the thing. Why don't you just focus on denying things in your life and not denying everybody else's life? Because that's what we do. Jesus had something to say about that. He says, you notice the little stick in his eye, but you don't see the beam in your own. We need to grow in grace. Grace teaches us to deny some things. But it's us that needs the work. It's not grace so we can point out everybody else's flaw. It's grace so we can let God fix ours. It teaches us to forsake some things, but it also teaches us to focus on some things. Teaching us to denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Look what it says. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. He said, this isn't just a negative thing. There's some positives. I want you to live soberly. We often use the word sober when it comes to alcohol. Soberly means to be serious-minded. There's a time we ought to get serious about some things. And and listen, I I don't mean to to come in and never smile in church. Boy, I tell you what, you ought to have joy in church. I heard somebody yesterday say this. He says, says, what kind of father doesn't like to hear his children laugh in his own house? I thought, boy, isn't that true? My wife and I, we love to sit and listen when Beth and Emily get going upstairs. The two of them, that's, that's one of the, 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 most, the worst thing about your daughter moving out is hearing those girls just up there giggling and laughing all night. Boy, we miss that. That, that brings joy to a father. So I'm not, I'm, not just, I'm not saying you ought to come in and just sit down and cross your hands on your lap and be all sour pusses. No, no, there's a great joy in serving Jesus. And and I'm just saying there's a time we get serious about the things of God. God wants us to be serious about our walk with him and serious about our prayer time and serious about our Bible study. So he says, focus on some things. Be sober. and, and, And look what else he says. Be sober and righteous. That means you have to have a relationship with Christ because you can't be righteous on your own. And godly in this present world. You say, wait a minute, that that might have been easy 2,000 years ago. No, no, the writer said in this present world now. He's talking to you today. Oh, pastor, you don't know how hard the schools are. God says you can do it. You can do it. There's a word that comes up later on in the verse or in the passage. It's the word peculiar. Yeah, you're going to look different. People might even laugh at you. But you can do it if you'll trust Christ. There are some things that we are to forsake, and there are some things that we are to focus on. But notice the third thing, grace that teaches us to, to look to future things. Look at verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope. The glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. How many of you go to work on Monday morning and you're just looking to Friday? You ever done that? Oh, is, it still, is Monday still? When's Friday get here? 
You can't, you can't wait for your day off. You can't wait. You know, kids, kids will say three more sleeps and it's my birthday. They got that all figured out. Or to Christmas. Did you sleep on Christmas Eve when you were a kid? You know, it's just that anticipation, that excitement. God says, here's what my grace is going to do for you. I'm going to put something in your heart that says I'm coming again. It's called the blessed hope. And you're going to be looking for Jesus. So tomorrow morning, Monday morning, I guess it's a holiday, praise the Lord. Tuesday morning when you get up and go to work and you're laying in bed and you go, oh, I don't want to go to that place where they cuss and tell dirty jokes and talk about their parties from Labor Day. I, hey, don't focus on that. Keep looking up. Because God has put the blessed hope in your, It might be today. It might be tomorrow. But he is coming soon. It's grace that tells and it is grace that teaches us. But let me get on to this last thing. We're almost out of time. It is grace that transforms us. It's a grace that transforms. Listen, that preacher that says grace doesn't lead to holiness, grace teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. But grace will also transform us. Look at verse 14. The Bible says this, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify in himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. First of all, we see that grace is transforming us. Why? We are transformed because he purchased our salvation. That's what redeemed means. You belong to another. The Bible says that Jesus Christ said to the Pharisees, you are a child of the devil. You are a child of disobedience. He said, your father, the devil. <laughs> the Bible says we were once aliens with God. We were enemies of God. We were dead in trespasses and sins. But he transformed us by his grace. <laughs> and he redeemed us. He purchased us with his blood. And so we have been transformed because he purchased our salvation. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God does that with his blood. That's what grace does. And then we are transformed because he purifies our souls. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. We are purified for his glory. The Bible says purify unto himself. And we are purified unto good works. Romans chapter 6 verse 1 says, Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Do you know what Paul is saying with God forbid? You completely misunderstand grace. That's not why God gave us his grace. He gave us us grace to teach us how to move away from this world, to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, how we can be transformed because we've been redeemed. That's what grace does. <coughs> Let me emphasize this. But it has to be of God. It has to be of God. You say, does that mean we're going to throw out all the standards of Bethel Baptist Church? No. Hey, listen, everything has standards. You go to McDonald's, they'll have you wearing the goofy little hat that they wear. You'll have to wear a hairnet. You imagine me wearing a hairnet? What was the point? But that's what they do. And we're happy to do it for minimum wage. 
I'm not saying standards are necessarily bad, that, we, that we're uniform in what we are trying to do as a church. I'm just saying we don't use that to judge the spiritual maturity of people. I know a lot of people know how to look real good in a suit and tie or a dress, but they don't have an ounce of spirituality. They're not walking with God. Where's our heart? And have we been transformed by the grace of God? Are we allowing him to teach us? Are we allowing him to remake us into the image of Christ? Because that's really what grace will do. But we have to submit to him and receive that gift. If you're not saved today, that's the first step. You can't know Christ unless you've been transformed. Let me just share this with you quickly. Look at Acts chapter 3. Turn to Acts chapter 3. I'm just going to try to remember it. I actually, I'm going to be honest with you, I heard a comedian, a Christian comedian yesterday share this story. And he was trying to share the gospel. He did a wonderful job and many people got saved as a matter of fact. But he said this, you know, most comedians, what they do is they set you up with an expectation. You're telling a story, a joke. And he says, and then you add an alteration. He says, you change it. You throw in a punchline. You go in a different direction. And he says, then the people receive a revelation. He says, they, they're awakened. All of a sudden, it hits them funny, and they begin to laugh, and there's a, a response to it. He says, God does that in the Bible all the time. And Acts chapter 3, he says, turn there, and he, he read this scripture, and he says, you know, there was a lame man laying at the gate called Beautiful. And you can read along, read verse 1. His friends had come there, and they laid him there. I'm paraphrasing. You read. And he was begging alms from people. <clears throat> what was he doing? He was expecting something. The Bible says that Peter and John came along and he said, look on us. And the man looked up and the Bible says he was expecting to receive something. I think it's about verse 4. Expecting to receive something. The man was expecting something. But then Peter threw in an alteration. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I unto thee in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man received a revelation. What was he doing next? He was leaping and praising God. But here's what he said. He says, that's what a comedian does. Here's what God does. We have expectations. God brings in the alteration. He gives us a revelation, but God does one more thing. He adds transformation. He says, Peter and John might have been able to make the man laugh, but they couldn't heal his ankle bones and cause him to stand up. God did that. I thought, what an interesting way to present the gospel. A comedian sharing jokes, and then he goes right into this. And he showed from Acts chapter 3, he says, here's something that nobody else can do. He says, a comedian can get up and make you laugh all night. Only God can transform your life. And he says, this man received a transformation he wasn't just leaping and praising, or just praising God, he was also leaping. He's trying out those new legs, jumping up and down and praising God. Must not have been a Baptist church. But he didn't care who watched. He was changed. God wants to transform you by his grace. You say, well, I'm already saved. He wants to transform you too. 
You are not a finished product. I know that. I'm not a finished product. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Help us to understand that grace is not something you have given us so that we could just go live and enjoy the world and understand that you'll just forgive us over and over again, but instead, grace is to teach us to move closer to Jesus, to put away the world, to live righteously and soberly, to be transformed and conformed into the image of the Son. Maybe there's one here today that's not saved. That's the very first step. They can't truly understand God's grace and they can't truly live a holy life until they first submit to salvation that is free through Jesus Christ because he paid all of the price for our sin. All the penalty was laid upon him. Lord, there's others here that are saved. But God is still transforming their life. Still making us what we ought to be. God, I pray the word that today that they might surrender to that grace as well. That they continue to grow in grace. Perhaps they would get into a discipleship program. Pray with somebody on a regular basis. Commit to reading their Bibles. Whatever it might be, Lord, but they just take another step in their walk with God today that they might grow in grace. Speak to our hearts, we pray, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Friend, do you know Jesus as your Savior today? If you were to die today, are you absolutely 100% sure that you'd spend eternity in heaven with Christ? Let us help you today. I'm not going to embarrass you, and I won't call out your name. But if you slip up your hand, I'd like to pray for you today. Sir Juan, Pastor, would you pray for me? Sir Juan, I'm not saved. I, I'm just not sure. Maybe there's others today, so I just need to take that next step. My spiritual growth, I need to, I just need to submit to God's grace that he's teaching me and growing me day by day. And friends, just spend some time with the Lord right now. The altar is open or you can pray where you are. I also heard this yesterday. I heard the preacher say, if you're not willing to make a move and take a stand for God in a place where people love you and are praying for you, you'll never do it out in the world. Don't be afraid to come to an altar. Don't be afraid to raise your hand. Don't be afraid to say, I'll stand up. I want to take the next step. I, I understand that I'm I'm, I'm just flesh and blood, a flawed human being that needs to grow each and every day. I need more of Christ. 